Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your storytelling podcast. And today's stories are all Let's Not Meet accounts. For those of you who are new to this genre of true stories, Let's Not Meet accounts are generally disturbing encounters with unsavory people, terrifying escapes, or encounters with strangers that usually centralizes around one or more individuals. Each story provides a description of the area they're in, and as we move with the storyteller pace for pace, we get to listen and understand their experience. I reached out to a number of Let's Not Meet writers and they were lovely enough to grant me permission to share their stories with us all. Each one of them was so quick with their responses that I just want to thank the four of you again for your accounts. Of these four accounts in total, I'll include their aliases and links in the show notes. These stories are not for little ears, mates, and will be told in audiobook format with respect to the content being shared. Lastly, I've purposely not introduced each story by their title because I want each one to be a surprise narrative, only separated by an audio sting. So turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's listen to our Let's Not Meet stories. A couple of weeks ago, my mum was coming back from the store at around 10pm, got herself a pack of cigarettes, and was hanging out with a friend of hers as she did so. On their way back, they came across Jeremy. It was a guy they have both met, and even I have seen him a couple of times. Nothing major, just an acquaintance we all barely spoke to, though he was either high as hell this time around, or drunk, or both, I didn't know. I do know this wasn't how he usually acts. Jeremy was angry over something, and came up to them and started screaming about wanting to fuck them and pulled his penis out, in public. After both my mum and her friend tried to just walk out of the situation, he started attacking my mum. Both my mum and her friend started fighting back, and they managed to get him to stop, and made their way back to her house, where I currently am at unaware of what the hell is going on. However, note that I said, stop, not leave. He lived in the same building as I did, and was following them around from a safe distance away. So they both made their way upstairs, when my mum realised she had left her key inside. Nothing new, she is pretty forgetful, and I'm generally here to open the door when she does. Problem being, Jeremy made his way upstairs too past where his floor is and two hours, and he tried to fight her again. I opened the door to my mum shouting my name and being absolutely clueless as she entered and tried to close the door. But Jeremy pushed the door open before it could be shut and made his way into our apartment. This is where I got involved, and grabbed the knife and threatened him to get out, which he did. I have no idea how he managed to get this impression, but he seemed to think I was trying to fight him. Because after we made sure to slam the door the moment he exited and locked it, he started screaming at the top of his lungs about how we were pussies and to call the police, claiming he knows the landlord and can get him to delete any footage caught from the outside of the building and the hallways inside the building. My mum, being a quick thinker, 
started recording him from the door as he banged and kicked the door, trying to open it. Eventually, he left when he heard we were actually calling the cops. You would think this would be over, right? Nope. It keeps going. After a couple of minutes, he returns to the door with a knife and starts stabbing our door while screaming and insulting us at the top of his lungs, saying he will kill the cops too. The police can clearly hear him from the phone. I think that's why they came this time around. Since I mentioned in my last post, these guys are absolutely useless. The doors in this building are strong stuff. Metal, I think. I don't know. But while he made some light holes and scratches, he couldn't do much to it. So he shouts he'll be downstairs waiting for the cops, which we of course inform the cops currently on the phone of. And like perfect timing, while he makes his exit, they make their entrance, both using two different elevators. There are two. Four officers knocked on our door, and we opened up and told them what was going on and what happened from start to finish. While my mum showed the cops the footage she recorded, I was taking pictures of the damages to the door. The cops, clearly not wanting to be here, begrudgingly said to come downstairs with them. So me and my mum did, to which we heard screaming from the first floor. We are on the fifth floor and heard him perfectly, though his screaming stopped real quick when four cops showed up. Instantly went, Oh shit! And playing nice with the cops. The cops were not having any of it and arrested Jeremy there and then. His friends were there, asking what did he do and screaming and shouting at the cops before eventually running off. Jeremy was taken away. I sent the damages of the door to lawyer's end. Don't know what happened about that. Silence. So this is where the story ends, right? Nope. Jeremy got off with a restraining order, though since he lived in the same building as us, we couldn't stop him from simply being in the building. He was only not allowed to talk to us or cause any problems. This did not last long. On my way to the store, maybe two weeks later, he and his friends were all outside the building in a group, chatting and drinking, when I walked out. Jeremy instantly switched up the topic, saying, You see that kid? I'm going to fuck him up. He got the cops on me. Fuck the restraining order. I wanted to get away from that as soon as possible, but I had already left the building and would need to get close to the group. So I quickly made my way to the store since I would be in public with people present. I ended up just getting everything I needed from the store while trying to call my mum to tell her what happened. Didn't answer. Great. And here's where I admit I was a little dumb. I should have instantly called the cops, but I didn't. I didn't remember what Jeremy was wearing, and I'm honestly a wreck with anxiety. I wanted to first see if the group was still there before I attempted to make a phone call. They weren't, and I quickly made my way upstairs to inform my mum, who calmed me down and got me to call the police. The exact same police as last time showed up, and thank God for that since they were well aware of Jeremy being a nutcase from last time. But this time, we had no proof other than what would just end up being a he-said-she-said said scenario. So they had us sit in the hallway while they called their boss to make sure the arrest would be okay, 
due to the previous history and restraining order. All the while, Jeremy was in the staircase laughing and being extremely loud with his friends and his sister, from what I later learned. Eventually, the police got an okay from their boss, and we all made our way to the staircase. I tried to stay out of sight as much as possible as they once again arrested him. Jeremy claimed to be unaware of what he was being arrested for, and his friend left once again. His sister, who was in her mid-twenties from what I could guess, was screaming, though, insulting them, and saying he was being arrested for no reason. Jeremy was hauled away again, and I have no idea what happened. No calls from attorneys or the police, no nothing. Though I ended up seeing him within the week, straying from eye contact with me or my family, usually walks away the moment he sees me. I wish more came of this, but I'm happy we are being left alone all the same. Though, he is always pissed at seeing me. I posted this in Missing 411, and in my planning of my upcoming camping trips felt the urge to post it here, mostly a copy and paste with an update on one of the family members. This may be a ramble of thoughts, but after recently stumbling on this sub, I finally felt a place I could offer something that my family and I experienced a few years ago that to this day gives me a shiver. I have been camping, solo backpacking, and hunting my whole life in Oregon, and felt comfortable in the woods, and have a deep respect for nature. A few years ago, my wife, daughter, and two German shepherds went camping north of Mount Jefferson, Oregon. I have included the coordinates of our campsite, which we found to be the perfect setup for us and our two dogs, who need the privacy since they are intimidating to other dog owners and can be allowed when spooked. It was not an established campsite, just a nice horseshoe off a USFS road that had flat ground full trees and a fire pit. The first night my daughter wanted to sleep by herself in a two-man tent right next to ours. It was maybe two feet away from me and my wife's tent. We made the male German Shepherd sleep, Guts is his name, with her in the tent. The whole first night neither my wife and I could sleep. We both heard footsteps, and they were heavy, not like typical forest critters scampering around the night. I was well armed because I was paranoid from reading recently before departing about a dad in California who was shot and killed in a tent next to two of his infant daughters. Needless to say, both my wife and I had two pistols and my rifle with me. The dogs are great at detection, and that is why I felt my daughter could sleep alone because Guts is completely fearless, and nothing would lay a hand on her without a battle to the death. All in all, nothing but bad vibes and loud footsteps occurred that night, which I ultimately decided was deer or maybe some elk. Day 2, Morning We go for a walk down the road and maybe 300 feet away, see the circle area in the photo. I see an abandoned road where a rusted gate post, the gate was missing, was covered in vegetation. Something of blue colour caught my eye, and Guts immediately takes off running down this abandoned road. My heart begins to race because I think it's another family camping like us, and he is going to get himself shot or scare some innocent people to death. So I chase after him as fast as I can, and the rest follow. He stops after 20 feet into the road and me, yelling his name. But I have covered just enough distance to see that there is nobody there, and something is off about the sight. I yell, Hello, is anyone there? Sorry about the dog! I got no response. 
My curiosity gets the best of me and I have to see what the sight conditions were. As I get closer, I know something is wrong. It had all the necessities for a campsite, including a cooler, propane burner, tent, blankets, folding table, but every single item had been completely destroyed, smashed and torn from what appeared to be claw marks. We all walked around in circles, puzzled why anyone would leave all their camping gear behind, including an expensive REI tent. I figured, well, someone left in a hurry and animals got to the rest as the only logical explanation. Still, a propane tank and cooler were flattened by something, and it certainly wasn't snowpack with tree coverage in that spot. As the afternoon rolls in, me and my daughter are playing bocce ball at the campsite, and my wife goes walking maybe 70 feet north to do her business. I do not have direct line of sight on her, but all of a sudden, I see Guts make a mad dash straight towards her. Normally, he would always be with me unless he is called over, and she didn't call for him. His speed and focus caught my attention, and I knew something weird was happening. So I ran over there and my wife starts jogging at me, and I immediately draw my pistol. Guts has completely continued running into the forest another 100 feet before I call him, and he stopped. My other dog, Leah, who never misses the opportunity to be the pack leader, is not taking point. I have had her for now seven years, and this was the first time in her life she refused to leave my daughter's side. She was full hair raised and attached to us at the hip. Again, anytime we hike or play, Leah is up front bossing everything in her path and pauses to look to see where we are and continues. I asked my wife what happened and she said, I was trying to pee and all of a sudden, all my hairs raised. I know someone was watching me. And then I saw Guts running towards me and I just got up to move towards you. We spent 10 minutes looking for signs of anything and saw no trails, broken branches, nothing to point to what and where something went. We decided we are spending one more night since it's too late to pack up and drive, but we will all be in the big tent together. Before we go to bed, I put a rope with a makeshift coin alarm around the perimeter of our campsite. I used a mint can and some coins and keys from our truck and zip-tied it so anything hitting the rope gave a little jingle. Very unsophisticated, but it put my wife at ease. As I go to tie my last corner off at a tree near our tent, our third mystery item unveils itself. It looks like someone has done the same exact thing that I've done with a rope that was so old and brown, I didn't see it at first. It was broken and only a few pieces remained, but sure enough, it was tied at roughly the same height, 8 to 10 inches off the ground, and even had a few rusted washers on it. I immediately felt that someone had stayed here years before me and had put up a makeshift warning system on the exact same tree that I had, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, based on the condition of the rope. Perhaps my paranoia had reached a new height, but I had to make sure the girls felt safe. And at the time, the only thing I could think of was when the evening came around, I made them sit in the truck and I fired a clip of my 45 into the dirt as a signal 
to whatever was out there, that we are armed. I reassured the girls that anybody listening to that now knows that we have two wolves and are armed, and we are too risky of a target, so that we can sleep safely. That night, we heard no footsteps, and the dogs never perked up and barked. We left early the next morning. Fast forward to today, and I watched the Amazon Missing 411 Hunter documentary, and I noticed a cluster smack dab close to where we camped that weekend, and a flood of dread rushes me as I think of that mysterious abandoned campsite with the ripped tent and smashed cooler and cooktop. We have been camping since, and have enjoyed the beauty of NW, but there was something there at that place that possibly took or harmed someone else less than 300 feet away from where we camped. And we all thanked our lucky stars that Guts was doing his thing so well that afternoon. I've attached the location map of where we were and a picture of two adorable dogs, Leah and Guts. Update from original posting, Guts is no longer with us. He has journeyed into the next phase and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about him and how he saved us. He was a warrior and his new brother, Geronimo, has his spirit. This story is told from the perspective of a man. This incident happened just a few hours earlier, and I'm typing this story currently at my workplace. I work in the garden area of a home improvement store. I don't work the cash registers, and my manager doesn't even let me water the flowers. A lot of the time I have nothing to do. This results in me taking extremely long bathroom breaks, where I just scroll on my phone. I know it sounds bad. But it's better than standing around trying to look busy. Today was the same as any other, with me wasting time in the bathroom. Nothing of interest happened until my work phone buzzed at the same time as the stall next to mine. This becomes important later. A few seconds later, I see that the guy in the next stall had his hands stretched to the ground with his palm facing up. I at first thought he had run out of toilet paper and was asking for mine. He just stayed silent for a while, so I ignored him after that. Then he started moving that hand uncomfortably close to my leg, so I immediately scooted away and prepared to leave. Once the man noticed that, he hurriedly got out of his stall before I could leave. Another few seconds of silence. I took a peek out of the gap of the stall door, and just like a scene out of a horror movie, our eyes connected. He was barely an inch away from my door, trying to peek inside. My blood ran cold. If you're wondering why I didn't immediately open the door and cuss the guy out, I really hate confrontation. I avoid it whenever possible, and I do my best not to draw attention to myself. I stood sideways by the door so he wouldn't be able to see me. That's when the whispering started. I don't know what the first thing he said was, but it sounded like moaning. The next part was a bit more audible. He said something along the lines of wanting to see more of my unflushed toilet paper. I was thoroughly disgusted. This guy was a complete creep, and I was alone in the bathroom with him. My heart was beating faster by the second. I knew that I had to stay in there until another person came into the bathroom. No way was I going to confront him alone. Probably a minute later, someone finally arrives and I take this as my chance to wash my hands and get the hell out of there. 
Thankfully, the presence of the other person made the old man quit his creepy behavior. As I was about to leave, he blocked my path for a quick second before stepping aside. The weird thing was, I don't even think he worked at the store because he wasn't wearing any vest. My store is extremely lenient about uniform, but most workers at least wear a vest or something connected to the store. He just looked like a regular customer. I'm certain I heard two phone dings echo in that bathroom. The phones have a signature ring to them, so it couldn't have been a coincidence. Either way, he only started creeping on me once the phone ring made it clear that I was an employee. The situation really creeped me out, and I've been totally unfocused on my work since then. I kept prowling the garden area to look out for any old men wearing a similar outfit to the creeper. I have an incredibly hard time distinguishing faces, so I probably wouldn't even recognize him even if I did see him. Creepy bathroom peeper. Let's not meet again. It was a Thursday in August of 2002. I was 12 years old and had lived with my mum for the past six years since she and my dad got divorced. Soon after their divorce, my mum met a new man who moved in with us a few months later. Looking back, I can remember a few times where he'd shown red flag behaviour. Like one evening, maybe in 1999, when we, that's me and my sisters, we shared the weekend between our mum and dad. We're watching a TV show finale, very late. He was drunk and came into the living room and smashed the TV with his bare hands. Back then, the TV screens were made of glass, so he cut his hand badly and yelled at us while bleeding. My mum forgave him after he probably came up with a million excuses in the following days. Anyways, in the beginning of 2002, my mum finally decided to have a break in their relationship and me and her moved into a different apartment a few miles away to get some distance. Me, still being the naive kid who thought she could have two dads, wasn't very excited about the idea. I already hated seeing my mum and dad split and now I had to let go of a man I'd gotten used to over the course of all these years. I was still just a kid and ignored all the signs, and I even remember resenting my mum for leaving him. As I said, my story starts on Thursday the 8th of August 2002. I was in school and not feeling very well. I also noticed some type of rash on my hips, so my teacher sent me to the doctor, and the diagnosis was shingles. I still see the doctor right in front of me, telling me that if the rash gets worse and goes all the way around my hip, I could potentially die. So I went home for the day and was allowed to stay home the next day, Friday the 9th as well. On Friday morning, my mum woke me up about 20 minutes before she went to work so she could check on me, have a little breakfast with me and bring me back to bed to make sure I'd rest. After she left, I remember lying in my bed and being relieved the rash had gotten better overnight when I suddenly heard a noise from the hallway. My room was not connected to the hallway, so I could only see in the adjacent room, and since my mum had left a couple of minutes prior, I assumed it was her and called for her. Seconds later, my mum's ex-boyfriend appeared in my doorframe, asking me what I was doing and why I wasn't in school. After I told him that I was sick and had shingles, he immediately said to me how much he missed us kids and my mum, how sorry he is for not being there, that he would love to talk to my mum and made things right. Since I was so unhappy about their breakup, I said stupid shit like I missed him too, and I wanted them to get back together. 
Can't believe I seriously believed that at some point. After a few minutes of small talk and him pretending to care about my well-being, he made me promise not to tell my mum that he came by before he left. I obviously told her the minute she came home, because I couldn't keep secrets from her, and I also wanted her to know. And again, me being a stupid 12-year-old did not even question how he even entered the apartment without a key, without someone opening the door for him. I never in a million years would have thought that this might be illegal or inappropriate behavior. I knew that man, and he lived with us for a number of years now. The same day, just a few hours later, my dad drove me to my grandma's, as I had planned weeks in advance to stay the weekend with her, and I already felt much better. My mum was supposed to pick me up on Sunday, but on that morning my mum hadn't answered her phone for about 12 hours, which was unusual. A friend of the family picked me up, drove me home, and still, no news from my mum. Since there's a rule in my country that a person has to be missing for 24 hours, before breaking the door to the apartment, and she was considered missing on Saturday evening when the police was only allowed then to open the apartment on Sunday evening. My sisters, my dad and me all went inside. I grabbed all of our school supplies and went to the bathroom. After exiting the bathroom, I found my mum's dental prosthesis on a counter in the hallway. Not realising it could be potentially evidence, I picked it up and brought it into the kitchen, where my dad was sitting with the police officer. My dad later told me that as soon as he saw the prosthesis, he knew something had happened. My mum had her teeth fixed just a few months prior and would not leave the house without it. After picking up our staff from the apartment, my dad drove us back to his house and we waited. Monday morning and still, no message from my mum. We did not go to school that Monday but planned on returning the next day. Tuesday morning I woke up on my own, even though Dad had said he would wake us up and take us to school. I was about to go downstairs, when I saw the village priest leaving our house. Police had found my mother the night before. On Monday evening, one of my mum's neighbours went upstairs to do laundry in the attic, when he noticed one of the doors being locked. No resident from the apartment building had a key to this specific room so they had to call the landlord to open the door. I try not to think about what they discovered, since it was the middle of the summer, and my mum had been dead for around 48 hours. My mum was murdered by her ex-boyfriend after he returned to the apartment on Saturday afternoon to talk. The last person my mum spoke to was my aunt. Shortly before they hung up, my mum said, There's someone knocking on the door. It's him again. I gotta hang up. Call you later. He gained access to the apartment the same way he did on Friday. With a credit card. He was arrested. Only a day later in a bar. After telling the barman that he had done something really stupid. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Eight months later, in April of the following year, me and my older sister had to testify in the murder trial. But before we gave our testimony, our father argued with the court and made sure that we didn't have to face the killer. I remember sitting down in a large and very cold room, my father right by my side holding my hand, lawyers to my right and to my left, as well as the judge in front of me. I remember being asked about the day he came into our apartment and answering all of the questions as truthfully as I could. 
They sentenced him to nine years in prison. Manslaughter, in effect, was the official cause. Seven of those nine years he spent behind bars, and as far as I know, he moved back close to our hometown, close to where it all happened. Over the years, people have told me that I was lucky. He could have killed me and my mum. If she had been still at home that day, if she had left just a few minutes later, maybe she would have run into him downstairs or he had gained entry to the apartment while we were still eating breakfast. Lots of ifs and could-haves. I know I won't be able to change the past. But I sure hope I can control my future. So to my mum's ex-boyfriend, the man who does not have a name because he doesn't deserve one, let's not meet ever again. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. A very special thank you to my Let's Not Meet storytellers, and again, I'm grateful for you all sharing your accounts with us. I'll be seeking more Let's Not Meet Stories listeners as per request of my patrons that place Let's Not Meet Stories as narratives they want more of. So rest assured, I'll be curating more on the way. Just like today's episode, these are hand-picked and carefully chosen based on quality and uniqueness. Plus, each Let's Not Meet account has a lesson to be learned, and the experiences really help us understand what people do in these situations, and in hindsight, what options are available. Mates, if you like what I do, leave an iTunes review. If you want to listen to more episodes, subscribe on your podcast player, or visit my webpage by searching Stories Fables Podcast. You'll find me there. And loads of episodes to listen to, ad-free. And lastly, if you really enjoy what I do, visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt where you can support the show and help it grow. Now, I want to thank those beautiful people that make this show what it is, and the main reason why we have our Let's Not Meet stories today. First up is my Ode Night Tea Titan, the epic and always excellent Queen of Cats, Maya. Mate, thank you, Maya. You're such a gem of a supporter. I've been using your donations recently to support the website directly. I've been applying plugins to speed track, tagging each episode in an automated way. You can imagine that I have 680 plus episodes, Maya. Going through each one is just not really viable at this point. So I'm using plugins to automate this whole process, applying tags based on title names to quickly attribute and categorize my podcast episodes. Thanks to you, it's now possible. You've saved me so much time, Maya, that I can be using on, you guessed it, more episodes. (laughs) You're an absolute legend, mate. Thank you. My white tea warlord, Leza Bowzooka, blasting a hole in any podcast fiscal issues. Mate, thank you so much for being your brilliant self. With your support, I've grabbed this neat little plugin that allows me to create noise profiles for my audio and tweak them to the point at which the audio and noise meet regarding my old-time radio episodes. What this allows me to do is gradually fine-tune what audio is white noise aesthetic versus what we can hear on our speakers. Quite powerful. And I've been saving up to grab it for quite some time. Thanks to your support and my patrons as a whole, I can now use it. Loving it, mate. Thank you so much, Leza. You're a bloody legend. The ever-talented Paige Karema. Wizardess of Wondery and all things knowledgeable, Paige, an absolute joy to hear from you as always. With your support, I've been able to add another plugin to the website that shrinks down my images to a more manageable size, compressing over 680 images from my episodes into much smaller sizes means faster load times and quicker response times for both my desktop and mobile websites. Thanks to you, people can access information quicker and far more efficiently. Cheers, Paige. 
You're fantastic. And the blood that oozes through this podcast veins, I am lucky to have. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you, all of you, for being so epic and supporting the show. You lot put a pep in my step. Ever grateful, mates. I'm going to reach out to more Let's Not Meet authors and hopefully have some ready for you this Friday coming. I also have some creepy stories sent in by Tom Keithley that I want to sink my teeth into, so I can't wait to get to those as well. Cheers, Tom, for sending those through. So, mates, I'm off to make a cuppa, but as always, till next we meet.